0: today on ring of truth with pastor dan sexton
1: now, whatever happened to so and so i haven't seen him in church in weeks you know and they used to be so on fire and so into it and always had their bible always coming to church and then they just disappear and quite often people will do that because jesus doesn't meet some kind of expectation they have you know they're sh- they're showing up for the wrong reason they're they're looking for jesus to meet some kind of expectation And once He doesn't meet that expectation, well then they stop following Him.
0: Jesus had no trouble drawing a crowd everywhere He went. Yet the number of actual followers He had was relatively small. As Pastor Dan continues our study of John in today's message, he'll point out that many people follow Jesus for the wrong reasons. Why are you following Him? Is it for what He can do for you? Or is it because you want to serve Him and carry His message of salvation to the world? All too often, if He doesn't provide what we were expecting, we turn away. Now here's Pastor Dan in the book of John chapter 6 for today's edition of Ring of Truth.
1: chapter 6, verse 1. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And then a great multitude followed him because they saw his signs, which he performed on those who were diseased. And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. And Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may have a little." And one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, Well, there is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? And then Jesus said, Make the people sit down. Now, there was much grass in the place. And so the men sat down in number about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks... He distributed them to the disciples and the disciples to those who sitting down and likewise of the fish as much as they wanted. And so when they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. Therefore, they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments of the five barley loaves which were left over by those who had eaten. Then those men when they had seen the sign that Jesus did said this is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. Therefore when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. Well this is a this is a very familiar story probably to most of us here the feeding of the 5 thousand. This miracle is the only miracle that is mentioned in all four Gospels. Uh, so that tells us that it's, it's significant. It's an important story to be included in all four Gospels. This miracle is also the fourth sign recorded in the Gospel of John. Remember, John records seven signs that point to Jesus being the Christ the Son of God. This is number four of the seven. Uh, we call this miracle the feeding of the 5,000, uh, but the Gospels tell us that it was 5,000 men in the crowd. The 5,000 doesn't include women and children. Uh, so if you include women and children in this number, uh, there may have been 10,000, 20,000 people or more. Uh, if you count everybody that's there in the crowd. So it's a huge crowd, huge crowd of people experienced this miracle. Uh, And this miracle will lead to Jesus teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum later on in the chapter and declaring that he is the bread of life. And that is the message of this miracle, that Jesus is the bread of life. But we'll get to that in in a couple Sundays. Um. In fact, if you look down in verse 35, though, just quickly, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Uh, this is Jesus' first I am statement in the Gospel of John. So, uh, you know, I, the I am is the name of, the, of Jehovah in the Old Testament. So there's, there's a lot going on in this story, a lot of important things coming out through this event, this miracle. Again, in verse 1, it says, after these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Mark's account of this event tells us that many people were coming to Jesus and his disciples needing ministry. So many people were told in Mark's gospel that the disciples didn't even have time to eat. And so because of that, because of the demand on the disciples, Jesus tells the disciples, come aside by yourselves to a a deserted place and rest a while. And so this trip to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, Jesus and his disciples, it was intended to be some R&R for the disciples, a little rest and relaxation, a little mini vacation for them, uh, to just kind of recharge and spend some time with Jesus which is always a good thing to do, especially in the busyness of life, just to set some time aside and just get away with Jesus and spend some time with him just to recharge your battery. Uh, and so Jesus and his disciples, they get in a boat and they head over the Sea of Galilee. Luke's account of this uh, tells us uh, that they went to the area of Bethsaida, Bethsaida which is on the, the northern Edge of the Sea of Galilee. And so they leave you know, the western side of the Sea of Galilee near Capernaum. They sail over to the northern side to the area of Bethsaida. Verse 1 also tells us that the Sea of Galilee was called the Sea of Tiberias. Now, when you're reading your Bible and you come to a detail like that, the, the Lord includes details like that on purpose. It's intentional. He's, he's, you know, it's not like God had a minimum number of words he had to write for the Bible, and he's just trying to fill space here, and so he just adds that phrase. It's intentional. And so whenever you come to a detail like that in your Bible, you should ask the question, why does the Holy Spirit want me to know that? What is the Holy Spirit trying to tell me by including that information? Why do I need to know that the Sea of Galilee was also called the Sea of Tiberias? Why is that important The story. It's important because it was the Romans who called the Sea of Galilee the Sea of Tiberias. This detail here in verse 1 that the Sea of Galilee was now called the Sea of Tiberias is there to remind us that at this time, Israel is under Roman rule, they're under Roman occupation, they're they're subject to, to Rome. Israel was not a free nation at this time. So just tuck that away for a few moments. Verse 2 says, then a great multitude followed him because they saw the signs which he performed on those who were diseased. Now, um, just to give you a little geography of the Sea of Galilee, it's really a lake. Uh, At the widest point of the Sea of Galilee, it's only seven miles across Uh, Jesus is up kind of in the northwestern portion in Capernaum, and he just kind of skirts across the top of the Sea of Galilee to the area of Bethsaida. He's gone only a distance of maybe three or four miles. The crowds can see where he sailed to. And so they walk around the northern edge of the Sea of Galilee, only about a 10-mile walk. And they find him now over in that area of Bethsaida, you know, and so the, the crowds just followed him over there to where he, he went to with his disciples. Uh, so much for the vacation away from the crowds. The crowds followed them. And we're told in verse 2 that they followed him because they saw his signs, which he performed on those who were diseased. They followed Jesus because he was a miracle worker. You know, they're they're there for the show, to see what he does. What's he going to do next? And so they're just just there for uh, the miracles. Uh, If you turn back to chapter 2 in your Bible, chapter 2, verse 23, it says, now, when Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Passover, so this was the previous Passover, during the feast... Many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men. And he had no need that anyone should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. Jesus didn't commit himself to the crowds because the crowds were only coming for the miracles. They were coming for the wrong reason. And, and Jesus, you know, crowds are great, but not if they're coming for the wrong reason. You know, Jesus wants us to, uh, to follow him for the right reason. And following Jesus solely for the miracles or the show or the excitement, that's not really the right reason to follow Jesus. And so uh, he, he, he doesn't commit himself to the crowd. Here now in chapter 6, the crowd is much larger And the crowd is following him, literally following him, uh, to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, but they're following him because of the signs, because of the miracles. They're only showing up for the miracles.
0: You're listening to Ring of Truth with Pastor Dan Sexton of Calvary Chapel, Ellicott City, Maryland. We'll return to the second half of today's message
1: in a moment. But first, here's a word from Pastor Dan.
0: Now let's join him again for the conclusion of today's edition of Ring of Truth.
1: Now, by the end of this chapter, Jesus is going to say some things that the crowd will not like, and a lot of them are going to split. He's going to say some things that is going that will thin out the crowd, and they don't like. You know, they like him right now because of the miracles, but once he starts speaking truth to them about their need for him to be their savior. They don't like that. And so they're going to leave. At the end of the chapter, we'll, we'll see that. And there are, there are some people that are like that. Maybe you know some people like that who follow Jesus because of the excitement, because of the thrill. Uh, they're into it. And you know, you, you know some people that, you know, they're excited about the Lord. They're on fire for the Lord for a period of time. And then all of a sudden, they just disappear and you don't see them around anymore. And you, whatever happened to so-and-so? I haven't seen him in church in weeks, you know, and they used to be so on fire and so into it and always had their Bible, always coming to church, and then and they just disappear. And quite often people will do that because Jesus doesn't meet some kind of expectation they have. You know, they're, sh- they're showing up for the wrong reason. They're, they're looking for Jesus to meet some kind of expectation, and once he doesn't meet that expectation, well, then they stop following him. And that's what's going to happen with this crowd here. You know, Jesus told a parable about a sower who sowed some seeds. And as he sowed seeds in the field, some of the seeds fell upon the rocks. And we're told that the seed began to grow, but the plant uh, soon wilted and died because of a lack of moisture. And Jesus explained that the seed that fell among the rocks represents those who hear the message and receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they believe for a while, and then they fall away in the time of testing. And that's what's going to happen to this great multitude that's showing up. And Jesus knows that, that eventually they're, they're going to leave and depart from him. So they're following for the wrong reasons. But I do also want to point out here that even though they're following him for the wrong reasons, and he knows that, he's still compassionate towards them. He's still going to feed them a meal. He doesn't say to the crowd, you're all here for the wrong reasons. Your motives are wrong. I'm not doing anything for you. He's still going to work a miracle on their behalf. Verse three says, and Jesus went up on the mountain. Bethsaida uh, sits kind of right at, right at the base of the Golan Heights. So he goes up on one of those mountains And there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. Again, this is another important detail that we're given, that the time of Passover was near. And so we need to ask the question, why does the Lord want me to know that? Why is that important to the story? Well, Passover commemorated when God sent Moses to deliver Israel, out of their slavery in Egypt. And God miraculously delivered the Hebrews out of their slavery and brought them into the wilderness. And remember the story, Exodus? Or you remember the movie, right? And then he he brought them out into the wilderness and then God supernaturally, miraculously provided for the people. Giving them manna to eat every day. Uh, and, And so it's Passover time. And it's Passover time. and so the, the Jews you know, that are there in the crowd, they're mindful of the fact that it's Passover. They're mindful of what God did for their ancestors in the past through Moses, uh, similar for us to Christmas time. At Christmas time, we're just more mindful of the Christmas story, the birth of Jesus Christ, right? Well, it's Passover time for them. So they've got Passover. On the mind right now, they're thinking about what God's done in the past through this deliverer, through Moses, how he provided for their people supernaturally. And again, remember, Israel at this point is under Roman rule. They were, they were in very similar circumstances to the Hebrews that were in Egypt. Uh, the, the Jewish people in Jesus' day, they're, they're looking for God to send another deliverer, especially at Passover time. Wouldn't that be perfect? The deliverer comes now at Passover. They need to be delivered again in their minds from the Romans. And so all that's in their mind. Verse 5, then Jesus lifted up his eyes and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? Now, why did Jesus single out Philip? You can imagine Philip as one of the disciples you know, kind of hanging in the back of the crowd, and Jesus, hey, Philip. Oh, what, yes, yes, sir, you know, kind of thing. Why is he calling on me? Why does he ask Philip? He asked Philip because Philip grew up in Bethsaida. They're in the area of Bethsaida. Philip knows the area. Philip knows where all the grocery stores are, you know, and the Five Guys, and the Royal Farm, where they can get some fried chicken for all these people. If anybody knows where to get food, it's Philip. And so he says to Philip, hey, Philip, you grew up around here. Where can we get some food to feed all these people? Now look at the next verse. Verse 6. Jesus said this to test Philip. For he himself knew what he would do. Jesus was asking Philip this question to test Philip. How will Philip handle this test? Will he trust the Lord. And I'm just going to give you a spoiler alert here. Philip's going to fail the test. Listen, the Lord, the Lord will put you and put me in situations to test us. How are we going to respond? How are we going to handle this? What are we going to do? He does that all the time. He's always putting us into those kind of tests. And I'm, I listen, listen. I'm going to tell you the answer to every test because the answer is the same to every test we're in the answer to every test you enter into and go through is trust the Lord and not yourself. Trust the Lord and not yourself. Trust the Lord and not your own resources. It's the same answer for every test. I mean, it's kind of like taking a true-false test, and every answer is true, and you can just true, 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 right? It doesn't really matter what the question is, if you know all the answers are true. But isn't it funny how we fail that test over and over and over and over, when the answer is the same to every test? Every situation we're in, what do I do? Trust the Lord. Don't trust yourself. Trust the Lord. Don't trust your own resources. That's the answer to every test that we've faced, Jesus puts Philip into this test. And notice also in verse 6, it says that Jesus himself knew what he would do. You should underline that in your Bible. Jesus always knows what he will do. Jesus always has a plan. He always knows what he will do. You never see Jesus panic. You never see Jesus pacing. You never see Jesus worried or fretting or anxious except when he's going to the cross we panic because we don't know what we're doing and we don't know what to do in so many situations in life we haven't got a clue and sometimes we're too prideful to admit i don't have a clue what to do and we fake it and act like we do know what we're doing we really don't know what we're doing jesus knew what he would do he always knows what he will do that's that's why we should always lean on him and not ourselves, and look to him, and not ourselves. Because he knows what he's doing, and we don't. (laughs) So Jesus asked Philip this question, Philip, where can we buy food for all these people? Now look at Philip's response in verse 7. How does Philip handle this test? Philip answered him, well, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them may have just a little bit. Here's what Philip does. Philip does what we often do in that same situation. Philip, facing this test, he got his calculator out and he started making his calculations and adding everything up and looking at the numbers. And after adding everything up and doing all of his calculations, Philip concluded it's impossible. Did you ever make that conclusion about a situation you're in? It's impossible. This is never going to work. We're never going to get out of this. We're going to lose everything. I've done the calculations. I can show you the spreadsheet. That's what Philip does. He gets his calculator out. He does all of his calculations. and, And he concludes, hey, if we had 200 denarii, we still wouldn't have enough for everybody just to have a little bite. Now, a denarii was a day's wage. For a common labor, it's kind of like minimum wage. Uh, so, two hundred denarii—that's about eight months' worth of income for you know a minimum wage employee. So, you know, let's just put a number on it. Let's say it's twenty thousand dollars. Whatever the number is, it doesn't really matter. They ain't got it. They're not even close to it. Philip knows that. We don't have that kind of money. We can't feed all these people.
2: He asked me how.
0: That's all we have time for today on Ring of Truth. Thanks for joining Pastor Dan as he continued his verse-by-verse, chapter-by-chapter study of the book of 1 John. If you'd like a copy of today's message, you'll be able to find it on our website, calvaryec.com. You can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes so you never miss an edition of this program. Every time we post something new, you'll be notified. We'd love to hear from you, too, and learn how Ring of Truth has impacted your life. Please take some time soon to give us a call at 410-491-4592. Please let us know how we can be praying for you, too. And if God's doing something wonderful, we'd love to rejoice with you. That number again to reach us is 410-491-4592. Do you live in the Baltimore, Washington area? If so, You're invited to join us here at Calvary Chapel this Sunday at 9 or 11 a.m. for a time of worship and Bible study. Calvary Chapel is located in Columbia, Maryland, only minutes from Route 95, Route 29, or Route 100. Find out more at our website. One more time, that's calvaryec.com. With that, our time with you has come to an end. Tune in next time to learn more from the book of 1 John with Pastor Dan, right here on Ring of Truth.